Saturday, late January 2020, in the before time, before the virus, before the crazy, glorious, open California day, walking Lake Merritt, I see this beautiful couple. They're pushing a baby stroller. They're so striking. The baby is so gorgeous with the chubby arms and legs. I stop them. I tell the proud parents, congratulations. Juicy baby smiles up at me, waves fat arms before they continue on the sidewalk toward the farmer's market. I'm walking right behind them, going the same direction, but I live just a block away. So I know this path, the rhythm, the vibe, the pulse, and my spidey sense starts tingling. I stop, look around, hear mumbling, cursing, a woman up ahead a few paces near the beautiful couple, disturbed, wild-eyed. Now she's arguing with invisible phantoms, gripping a dirty bottle of yellow liquid that is not lemonade. No. And I see it. Like a dark vision, I see it in excruciatingly microscopic detail, each and everything about to happen like it has already occurred. But I cannot move fast enough when she shouts, flings the bottle, a spray of waste erupting into the air. The couple screams. The woman screams. I scream. And regardless... Foulness rains down, soaking this family and their beautiful baby girl. The woman cackles in delight, and I don't know how to help these people. This little family, I don't. I don't even understand that this scene will replay itself time and time again in my memory as the most perfect metaphor for 2020 because no matter who you thought you were or where you thought you were going this year those plans changed but even as we stand clothes soaked and filled baby squalling even now we can foresee a better future right over the bend at the farmer's market it's right over there it's over there And so today, before we take that step forward together, we're going to look back. Snap Judgment proudly presents Upended. I'm from Washington. Wet wipes are not going to cut it when you're listening to Snap Judgment. Okay, so a little while back, we did a story called Zoo, Nebraska, a story about a tragedy. Four chimpanzees escaped from a small town zoo, and three of them were killed. But the survivor, Ripley, thankfully, Ripley ended up at a place called the Center for Great Apes, a sanctuary in central Florida with three-story high enclosed habitats and miles of elevated tunnels on 100 acres of tropical forest. And no, the place is not open to the public. They housed nearly 60 chimpanzees and orangutans there, many of whom came from Hollywood, or pets, or research subjects. Now, this is strange but true. Even if you're a primate, 
doing your primate thing in the sanctuary, 2020 can still come knocking. And I called Patty Reagan, who founded the center 27 years ago. I called her to see how everybody's doing. So, Patty, when I last spoke to you, you mentioned that Ripley had a new best friend. And that best friend was Bubbles, who used to be Michael Jackson's uh, chimpanzee. That's, Is yep, that right? That's correct. That's right. Are they still hanging out tough? Oh, sure. They're, um, they're in a group of six or seven chimps. Ripley loves to play chase. Like we have one um, habitat that Ripley and his group has been in. It's 100 feet long. And then they're also in the tunnels, which are almost two miles. And so they will, let's play, let's play. And we will run outside and they'll run inside. And it's a great game for them. They love that. Right on. Now, is it possible for a chimp to get COVID-19? Um, nobody that I know of has a reported case in zoos in this country or in sanctuaries that is truly COVID. I know there have been big cats. I think there have been otters and one other animal that has tested positive for COVID. However, I think everyone worldwide is operating on the premise that they could get it because Great apes are so close to us, especially chimpanzees, that they catch our colds, they can get the flu, tuberculosis, all these um, terrible human diseases are transmittable to apes and other primates, monkeys too, some of them. You must wear a mask at all times here. I know that chimps, you've told us in the past that they, they're, they're empathetic. They can um, feel how other people are feeling. Do you ever get that sense that that outside world gets into their world? I think they are very intuitive and they do know when people are stressed. For instance, one of our caregivers lost her mother this year mm. and I, her orangutans were very empathetic with her. They were just incredibly attentive. You think they sense that? Do you think they sense that loss? I, you know, I, I do. I do think so. I think they sense that there is extra emotion. They may not know what caused the emotion that she lost her mother, but I think there is extra emotion. A moment for this year that I think is a memorable moment. I mean, we did just two months ago in September take in five orangutans, five adult orangutans. They are from a tourist attraction. They're stable. They're, we've got them in a good permanent home. But here's my surprise moment. You know that sanctuaries don't breed. I think we talked about that before, that it's a sanctuary ethic not to breed intentionally, just to bring more apes into captivity. And especially with great apes that can live 50 years or more and cost over 20000 a year, mm. one baby is like a million-dollar commitment. So sanctuary is about giving homes to those apes in captivity that have no other choices, that can't go back to the wild. And so they don't, we don't breed. And most of our apes have been on birth control, um, either vasectomized. Well, we had a birth control failure <gasps> early in the year around COVID. And one day we walked out and thought we had a problem with the one of the orangutans because there was blood everywhere and um, turns out she had a little baby and she was on birth control in 27 years. This is our first birth control failure. That baby is nine months old now. Her name is Kahaya and little girl. And she is, I have to say it was a blessing because even though it's a big financial commitment, that wasn't what we planned. It's been such a morale booster to our staff who've been pretty much you know, cut off here. And every day is such a joy and so amazing to see what new thing this little nine-month-old is doing. And her mother is raising her. And here's the best thing. That mother came out of Hollywood and she had three other babies that were pulled from her that she was not allowed to raise and that were sold. 
So for the first time, she's getting to raise her own baby. So these these are the light moments and the happy moments that make us all like everything we're doing here is so worth it. Patty, you've got to tell me, what does a little bitty baby orangutan look like? Well, hair everywhere, tiny little thing. When she was born, her head was the size of a lemon. It's not much bigger now. It might be the size of an orange. And um, hair sticks straight out everywhere, bright red. She's just adorable. Right. Well, that uh, that's like a that's the best thing I've heard in 2020 for sure. <laughs> well, go on our Facebook page, the Center for Great Apes. There's lots of pictures of the baby there. Patty, everyone's dealing with a lot of stress right now. And everyone's doing it in a different way. I wonder if there's anything that you've gleaned from the apes about how they deal with their stresses that could help us deal with ours. Um, Grooming each other, you know, staying close to each other. Some eat, you know, less when they're stressed, a lot less. A lot of us during the pandemic have eaten more <laughs> with the stress. So their their stress is, is different than what we might be feeling. But the apes, really, nothing has changed for them. They're getting the same amount of food. They're living with their companions. You know, I think, I think captivity is stress, even good captivity. It's mm. not... It's that's not their nature. So everything they do, whether they're in a zoo or a sanctuary, they are dealing with being captive. And I wish they weren't. I wish we didn't have to even be here. Thank you, Patty. We're going to put some pictures of baby Kahaya on our website, snapjudgment.org. I saw her. And I laughed and I cried at the same time. She is so beautiful. She's so beautiful. I want to see her too. Snapjudgment.org. And there's one more thing. I know that we all watched that show, The Tiger King, at the beginning of all this crazy. And in that show, there are two chimpanzees. Two very sad chimpanzees that that ass, Joe Exotic, kept locked in small cages next to one another. Well, they made it to the Center for Great Apes. Joe and Bo are hanging with Ripley and Bubbles and the rest of the crew living their best life. The Center for Great Apes. Find them online and make sure they're getting all the love, all the support you can throw at them. And don't go anywhere, Snappers, because we're just getting started. When we return, we're flying to Myanmar, doing the time warp, before hoofing it back down to Dawson, Minnesota, when Snap Judgment, the 2020 upended special continues. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment the 2020 upended special now when the pandemic first reached our shores nandar spoke with us for our letters from lockdown series where we asked people from all over the world who experienced different types of lockdowns to share some advice about how to cope nandar told us about her extreme isolation as she hit puberty and started her period when i like hear about this uh, COVID-19 and how people are, are managing 
to not get infected i had this like feeling that i think it's like a revisiting uh, the kind of trauma that i had to go through when i was like when i got my first period i was at the house and i told my mom that i think the blood are coming out of my vagina and i remember she looked at me feeling really sad she said now you have to pack your some some of the things please stand there do not enter the house you are considered as dirty hello my name is nanda i was on your radio show for the letters from lockdown series talking about my experiences being isolated during my first menstruation some community in myanmar isolate women and girls during their first three periods because menstruation is considered dirty and disgraceful we've been curious about what's been happening in myanmar since we last spoke to nandar of course covid-19 is global and she's faced a host of travel restrictions due to covid-19 i've not been able to go back to my village to meet with my family like i always used to and while the pandemic has put physical distance between all of us we're thrilled to see more people taking to the digital airwaves to stay connected and to get their message out including nandar professionally i've come up with creative approaches to continue doing what i'm doing i even started new podcast called feminist talk to share my feminist thinking something surprising that nandar shared with us was that black lives matter inspired real change this year in her home country myanmar also struggles with racism in fact there's a derogatory term for someone of indian or south asian descent and i'll call it the k word i was very pleased to see how black lives matter movement positively impacted myanmar there was a similar campaign that happened here with the hashtag don't call me kala that provokes many people to participate in this uncomfortable conversation around racism in Myanmar. I personally did a video on Facebook to share my experience as a person of color and it reached to over thousands of people. Nandar's recently done some great work online. So much so that she nabbed herself a spot on the BBC's list of 100 influential women in 2020. Still She'd love to mix it up a little in 2021. My hopes for next year are to be able to spend less time on screen and more time with friends and family. That is something I can definitely relate to. Now, our Hitchhiker's Guide to America episode, where we brought you two tales traversing the highways and byways of the U.S. of A. It's like a quarter snap nation. And first up is a time traveler. But you didn't need maps for this one. The story followed Chicago performer Jacoby Cochran as he walked into his grandmother's home and into an honest-to-goodness time machine. She told me the story of August 1955 in Money, Mississippi. When she got done, it was clear that time traveling took a lot out of her. You see, she used to be able to sit at this table and move through stories with precise phenomenological detail. 
but it was clear in her later years that her powers were wavering and she looked so tired. So she put the magazines back in the Ziploc and back in the closet and she said, Kobe, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to take a nap. My name is Jacoby Cochran. I'm a professor, writer, and an actor from the South Side of Chicago. And my snap story was about two days spent with my grandmother during the summer of 2016, uh, which just happened to be the summer in which the World Watch, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, murdered on television and just sort of continued a trend of these sort of televised lynchings. And the story was both a love letter to my grandmother, a sort of remembrance of how much you know time I spent in her home with her, juxtaposed against these harsher lessons that I was forced to learn from the safety of her home. We asked Jacoby how he would sum up this crazy year in one sentence. This is what he said. This year has been a reminder that you don't have as much time as your brain has convinced you, you have. I know it to be true that despite the love me and my grandmother shared, despite, you know, the fact she was there for my kindergarten graduation, my eighth grade graduation, my high school graduation, my college graduation, I know that I missed phone calls. And I know that I didn't return phone calls. And I know that our I could have stayed a little longer at the table. And in sort of this year, weeks and months have sort of folded in on themselves. Routines have drastically shifted. People have lost individuals suddenly. We're all time travelers. 2020 reminded us that we don't control the speed of the machine. We're passengers. But my hope is that 2020 has made people somewhat more appreciative of the fact that they don't control it. We get to to write and tell these stories, but none of us got to start them, and most of us have no idea how they're going to end. Best believe we're going to hear more from Jacoby Cochran in the new year. Next up, The Woodsman. In this story, we meet Gregory, a man living alone in a hut he built himself deep in the woods right off a California freeway. I watch the stars move around at night. Makes you wonder what's out there sometimes. Sometimes I'll get my guitar out, make up a song, and uh, look around at what I might do today. Funny, a woman can come home so wild and free. I look at sometimes like I'm here five years from now. And uh, nobody said nothing. Nobody said nothing. You know, it's just, it's kind of like I got another part that I put in a song, you know. It sure does feel good to feel invisible. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Because it, it really does. It feels really good to feel invisible to where nobody knows you're you're there. Touch me as if I would go. My name's Gregory, and uh, I was interviewed about my uh, my travels through life, looking for the, uh, I guess what we call the uh, American dream, you know, having a piece of land and a house and a family and something to look back on as you grow older in time. Gregory found himself living an extremely solitary life after making a thousand-mile trek across the country. But that word... Solitary carried more weight than he expected in 2020. I love being invisible, but then I love to be seen too nowadays. But COVID has really set things back in healing of the soul. I mean, even going into the grocery store since COVID come in, I basically just go in like anybody else and I hardly don't even look at anybody. And uh, and just do that and get out and, and come back home. So it makes me feel uh, lonely, basically, is a best word, I guess, for it. Especially somebody in my situation where I'm a loner now, basically. I live alone. People was withdrew a lot. Couldn't smile to each other. They couldn't see their faces no more. If they smile big enough now, you can see their eyes you know, above the mask kind of. I guess you'd say wrinkle up, maybe, or pull up a little bit. So you you know they're smiling at you. I want to see their faces, and their expressions can can tell a, a, a whole story sometimes. One thing I learned this year is an old thing that I relearned, that things ain't going to always uh, turn out the way you want it to. The unexpected is always going to happen, something could break. You can be flipping a hamburger with your brand new spatula you bought from Walmart and the handle can break. <laughs> you know, if that's a lot that I've relearned and learned that nothing is forever. If you're going to get a stump toe, it's just learning how to heal it and to carry on and move forward and not stop. Now, one of our most talked about stories of the year was the country doctor. We followed Dr. I.S. Virji, a Muslim man who moved to Dawson, Minnesota, a mostly white rural town. And much to his surprise, this community embraced his family and appreciated the vital role he played as a town doctor. But when the presidential election of 2016 came and the majority of Dawson voted for Donald Trump, Ayaz felt targeted. He felt rejected from a place he'd grown to love. We take you back four years ago, the day after that election, when Ayaz was victim to his closest friend in town, Doug Peterson. He just became really close to my family. He's probably one of my most trusted friends. I mean, it, the election was over, and uh, I knew something was wrong because he wasn't his normal self. He was very agitated. 
pacing. I'm like, something's wrong, what's going on? He's like, you don't know? What are you talking about? They elected him, Trump. And then he's like, who did you vote for? Did you vote for Trump? And then that's probably where it started. And I said, yeah, I did. Why? Why would you do that? That's a personal insult to me. And I'm like, well, I apologize, but I didn't do it to insult you. It was still a doctor's appointment, so we still went over my stuff. And he, he, wasn't, he wasn't mad at me. He was mad, he was mad at the whole world, I think. But especially our little town. I really felt hurt. I probably felt more hurt from my own community voting this way than I did the fact that he got elected. That day was the start of a journey that would bring the two men closer together than they could ever imagine. And a big shout out to Pastor Mandy. Our story revealed a lot about what it actually meant to be from Dawson. So we wanted to catch up with Doug Peterson and ask him about other ways in which the small town surprised him when the pandemic hit. So I manage a grocery store. When Amazon sold out of toilet paper, there was a panic. I had people coming from 50 to 100 miles away because we're a small town, but they pretty much wiped us out. Like I couldn't get Lysol wipes. I couldn't get Lysol spray. Every once in a while, I would get a small amount, and I saved. I hoarded that kind of for daycares and police officers. So we weren't, I wasn't financially impacted there. But you get to, you see the true nature of the beast, of how some people are. People wanting what they can't have, what's not available. They want something that they could actually get by without. If you had to, you could wipe your butt with paper towels, which there was never a shortage of. Sit on a five-gallon pail, like we do when we go ice fishing, and let it freeze and put it in the garbage instead of flushing it down the toilet. You don't need to come in and buy toilet paper so nobody else gets any, or hand sanitizer, or Lysol. We also asked Doug, what was the hardest thing for him this year? Well, what hurt me the most, on Sundays I would go to the care center and visit elderly people that don't have family. And they would hold your hand so tight they didn't want you know they want you to stay and talk and 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 then now COVID hits and we can't visit them anymore and everyone needs that person. Speaking of that person, Doug tells us that he stays in close touch with Dr. Virji, his dear friend who who really did love Dawson, but ended up moving to Abu Dhabi with his family. We have a nine-hour difference but we talk sometimes three times in one day. And as this year's presidential election was approaching, of course, Doug and Ayaz, they went back and forth about who might win. Doug and I did have a conversation during the election and several times thereafter. When we spoke to Ayaz, he was slammed with work, leading the COVID response effort at NYU Abu Dhabi, but he made some time to check in with us too. For him... This year's election has been different. It was definitely different for me this time around in 2016 because I'm here living in Abu Dhabi. 
a city that embodies globalism. There's no such thing as hate speech. It's totally illegal. There's a ministry of happiness here. There's a year of tolerance versus in the U.S. where hate speech just spews way too much. That being said, Dawson is still home for me. So I did feel very connected to the election and probably was as nervous as most people going into it, not knowing what the outcome would be. So just like in 2016, the first thing Ayaz did after this year's election was check to see how Dawson voted. Yes, I did that exact thing this year. That was the most important indicator for me, was how did my community vote? Unfortunately, Dawson voted the majority for Trump. I think it was 53%. I wasn't surprised by that. I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed. Joe Biden won the election, and I'm very happy about that, very proud of that fact. But I was hoping that there was going to be some mass referendum against lying, against insulting, against division. That didn't quite happen yet. And the first thing I thought of was the Love Thy Neighbor lectures. If you listen to the story of the country doctor, you'll remember that after the 2016 election, Ayaz was invited to give presentations about Islam in Dawson and then all over Minnesota. And although he received death threats and hate mail along the way, he kept getting invitations to do more talks. And I thought that, what was the point? We didn't make an impact. I thought we would have had an impact on people. Then I started thinking over the next couple of days, well, love thy neighbor was hard. And maybe the impact that we had on people was more internal on their scope and vision versus external, like on how they voted. So it helped me kind of reconcile in my own mind that what we did was right. Looking toward the year ahead, Doug has one big wish. It's the same wish he's had since Ayaz and his family moved away. And I do believe in Doug's mind, the election is a big uh, door-opening event for us to come back. Well, part of Doug's wish is actually coming true. I'm coming back to Dawson the first week of December. I, I so much look forward to it. I look forward to meeting up with Doug, visiting the hospital. I will be treating COVID patients. I'll be taking care of chronic diseases affected by COVID. I'm going to be doing a lot of ER shifts and hospital shifts. The COVID uh, epidemic is unfortunately hitting Dawson really hard. So hopefully I'm going to be of some help to relieve some of the other providers. The most important thing is taking care of the individuals in the community. I love my community. I just feel so attached to them. It is not over, Snappers. From the 2020 upended special returns, we're going sailing. And we're going to hear from some of the top lockdown experts in all the land. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the 2020 upended special, shelter in place, contact tracing, social distancing. In less than 12 months, COVID-19 has hijacked our vocabularies and our news feeds. Everybody's suddenly an armchair epidemiologist, Googling the latest research, and even with all this information, maybe because of all this information, personally, I feel like I'm barely keeping it together. And some of us has had to do it with a lot less, a lot less. Prisons and jails across the country are being slammed by the year's most dangerous contagion behind the walls. People are locked down for real, with no way to social distance, and are stuck fighting for their lives. This summer, in our Outbreak at San Quentin episode, we spoke to people incarcerated at the prison during the outbreak. And one of the people in our story, Chenton Bun, he was finishing a 23-year prison term and was released in the midst of pandemic chaos. On the day he got out, San Quentin had more than 1,500 active cases and Bun was sick too, fighting COVID symptoms as he was driven from behind the prison walls and back into society. And opens up the door. And he gives me my uh, gate money and say, hey, go to that lady right there. she give you a bus ticket. And they take off. I was like, what? I cross the street and I see it says uh, Terminal A, bus number seven in San Francisco. I go over there. I ask the bus driver, can I get in? But I think he knew I just got out of prison. So he said, yeah, come on, come on in. So he told me where to get off, and uh, when I got off the bus, I wasn't even walking straight. I wasn't feeling well. I was getting nauseated. So I put my bags down on the bench and took a nap. I'm Chanton Bun, and my story is about being released from prison with COVID during the biggest outbreak in San Quentin. Released with no fresh hand sanitizer, no new PPE wearing one of the same masks he had gotten months before. I came out to the public with full-blown COVID, and they just let me out just like that. No plans at all. They had no plans, nothing. The parole officers didn't even want to deal with me because I was sick. And they, they didn't even check up on me to see, nah. Alone, on a bench, Bun battled his nausea and mustered up the strength to flag down a passerby. He borrowed their phone to call the community members and activists that had fought for his release to tell them he was on the other side. And before long, they arrived, ushering Bun into the backseat of a car they had specially taped off to keep the virus from spreading. Immediately, they took me to get tested. It came back out positive right away. They had, they had a shelter for me where I could be secluded by myself. Took me to, to a sanctuary right away and isolated me. And the whole community came together to help me, like, with food drop-off, with, with anything that I needed. And as the days go by, I started getting worse, where I couldn't, I couldn't even get out the, the, the sofa. And it was real bad, where I coughed until sometime I almost faint. And they had a, they had a whole team where uh, they call me on, a, on, on an hourly basis to see how my temperature is, how my oxygen level are. Like, come here and watch me from, like, the window, make sure I was still alive or moving. And that was, like, 
that was an eye opener. Like, you know what? There is people that care for us out here. And that was like one of the most beautiful thing I've seen is how the community came together to save a life. I've recovered, but I still have like like symptoms that, that comes up, like COVID toes. And that thing is like, it's a nerve pain that COVID messed with my nerves where it feel like somebody just stabbing my toes. And for my lungs, it's mostly clear, but I could, I could feel some stuff in there still. Uh, sometimes like um, I get fatigue, but the doctor tells me I'm gonna be feeling that for a while because you know, and it, I, was, I was so sick that my body's recovering from all that. Bun was out and slowly regaining his health from COVID. Meanwhile, the virus found its way all over the state, all over the country. San Quentin became the largest hotspot in California where well over half the population tested positive for COVID. To date, 28 people in San Quentin have died, a number that includes some of Bun's closest friends. Mr. Brown, he was a good friend of mine. He's elderly. Uh, he had a lot of uh, uh, health issues. And Eric, Eric Warner, he was my cellmate for two years. So I knew him real good. And um, before I left, I talked to him too, because we would always talk. We are like, man, this is bad. And he's like, yeah, I got a respiratory problem. Man, if I get COVID, it's going to be bad. And I was like, okay, well, hopefully I get out before the outbreak comes. And, and we're all hoping. And, and, and then when I paroled, about two weeks later, I heard he passed away. I prayed for him. I made an altar for him. Some of his friends that were incarcerated with him, we got together, did a memorial for him. Yeah, so it was it's a lot of a lot of survivors' guilt when 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 I think about it. Where I paroled and was saved by the community, but I left a lot of friends behind. Bun is a Cambodian refugee. He came to the U.S. when he was just a boy. Got his green card, but lost his status with his conviction. He worries that ICE could pick him up at any moment. I'm still, we still don't know what's going on with ICE with me because they never picked me up. I think there's still a detainer on me, so I live in a sanctuary right now. Um, but it's, it's like we don't know, they don't want to communicate with us. So, Bun was expecting to be transferred to an ICE detention center as soon as he was released. But for some reason, ICE wasn't there to pick him up. Hello? I'm in, I'm in What's up? What's up? How you doing, man? Uh, maintaining, so... While we were yeah, talking to Bun, he had a call from a friend the, uh, at an ICE detention center. Okay. Uh, yeah, so how's the outbreak over there? They have like 110. This is like a month ago. Oh, 110? Uh, 110, 110 cases. And yeah. uh, active was 39. Okay, so, so... That was a month ago, so now I don't know. I don't know what's the number now. They, they never tell us anything. Kausei Lee, uh, uh, he was a firefighter. Him, him and, and Kyo was a firefighter. Got injured in, in the Northern California fire. The tree fell on him. And then his, his time was up. They gave him over to ICE. And he's in the ICE detention center right now. I was like, these are guys that are protecting us risking their life and you and you send them to ice from what i went through now i see people in my shoes and their families and my heart bleeds for them so 
when when I see their parents cry, it's like my parents cry. When I see their family hurt, it's like my family hurting. So it gives me courage to speak out. It gives me courage to do what I can to get these guys out. You know, I, I tell people about my story. I tell I tell the people that has the power, like, this is what we go through. You know, we're, we're human, too. And we're dying in there. And every person that gets released and their lives is saved, it's another family united. The most beautiful moment this year is, is hugging my mom. When, when my mom came to see me and my, my sisters, I got to hug them, hug my sisters, my niece and nephews, and getting to know them. That was so beautiful. And that's what that's what I want to see is family united. To all the people behind bars that are battling this pandemic, we at SNAP want to let you know that you are not invisible. We see you. And we're sending you big, big love. So, back in the olden days, before all this virus stuff, we featured a story on our show called Raft of Passion. It's about Mary Gidley, who took part in a dangerous psychological experiment led by Dr. Santiago Genovese, where she isolated herself with 10 strangers for 101 days on a raft drifting across the Atlantic. The timing was pretty perfect. I'll get away. That'll be great. Why not? This will be my own adventure. Yeah, get to fly to Madrid right away. Okay. (laughs) And then come back on a raft going about two miles an hour. I realized that when we were over the the Atlantic Ocean on a plane. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Snap producer John Facile sat down with Mary on her sailboat just a few weeks ago. My name is Mary Gidley. If you heard the program about the raft, I was uh, the navigator. We drifted across the Atlantic Ocean in 1973. We had some pretty uh, interesting adventures. We were in part of a hurricane. We were almost run over by a freighter. We had a few psychological problems. So that's my background, and that's why I'm here, I guess. And I'm on a sailboat in the Clipper Yacht Harbor in Sausalito. We have a view of Mount Tam, and it's a beautiful day. It's like all blue with a few little wispy clouds, and it's flat, calm. The temperature is unbelievable. How has COVID changed your world? It's been very difficult. Um, I live alone, and not to be able to go to my grandkids' houses and hang out with them. Also, they locked up all the tennis courts, so it was very, very difficult to do my normal activities outside, which is a lot of tennis. So I read a lot, I do some writing, and I'm singing with a Zoom um, harmony group. Oh, here's a, my one I performed from on Facebook or FaceTime, FaceTime, uh, Bad Moon Horizon. 
There's a bad moon arising. There's a bad time ahead. So there's lightning and thunder. This is a bad day today. Because oh, I'm not coming down tonight. It's going to take your life. There's a bad moon on the rise. Have you been singing any other songs? Yeah, um, Here Comes the Rain Again. These are all ominous songs. Uh, I was so far. Well, let me see. Have we got any good one here? Let's see. Uh. Do you think you're, you were more prepared for this long period of isolation, partly because of your experience on Santiago's raft? Well, when we were isolated on the raft, we didn't have any computer or cell phone or anything, so we were totally ignorant of what was going on in the world, pretty much. We, we had our own little capsule, and that was it. And now, even though you're isolated, like in your house or your apartment or your boat or whatever, you still get like a lot of input. You know, you can't help it. If you, if you have a computer and you turn it on, there's news before you, you can't, you have to shut your eyes not to look at it, you know, because it's always there. On the raft, we were not totally isolated from human beings. You know, there were 10 other people there. We were used to them being sort of like a piece of furniture. So... Oh, that's interesting. So like the coronavirus experience of isolation is kind of like the inverse of what it was on the raft, where the raft you were surrounded by people all the time, but you had no contact with the outside world. And here, that's all we have is contact with the outside world. Wow, that's exactly right. <laughs> Do you think there's anything we can take from the raft story that we can kind of, that people can kind of apply to the experience that they're going through now? Uh, you know, you can have a destination, but you can't, you know, always predict that you're going to get there. So I think it's good to have some goals like we did with a raft to make it to Mexico. So you want to have goals, but you don't want to get so set in them that you can't be flexible. So I guess being flexible is one thing that, you know, we have to do this coming year. Be flexible? Mm-hmm. And be, you know, be open-minded about everything and creative. You can only live day-to-day. -day. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Be all right with that. Big, huge, enormous thanks to all the storytellers who let us take a little peek back into their lives for this special episode. Patty Reagan, Nandar, Jacoby Cochran, Gregory, Dr. Ayaz Virji, Doug Peterson, Chanton Bunn, and Mary Gidley. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to treat yourself to an encore of their original episodes or get the latest on what they've got lined up for 2021, check out our website. It's on snapjudgment.org. And I got to thank right now almost the entire Snap team who produced the special episode. Anna Sussman, Nancy Lopez, John Facile, Shana Sheely, Regina Bediaco, and Pat Masidi Miller. that time and there is so much to be thankful for i'm especially thankful for you snap nation the best people in the world listen to this show for real and don't think for a moment that we do not appreciate it and if you need a friend 
conversation to take you away. You always have one in your pocket. Stories for days and days and days. Stories to let you see the world through someone else's eyes. Snappers, if stories can't change the world, nothing can. Subscribe right now to the Snap Judgment Podcast because everybody needs a little magic. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for the deep, dark secrets. And if you want to let the world know you snap, do so with one of these super cool t-shirts and even a snap pin. Just hit the Snap Studio shop. What better gift for snappers? What better gift? You're probably sitting next to someone who loves the show right now. Celebrate with some new merchandise at snapjudgment.org. That's snapjudgment.org. Step is brought to you by the team that never, ever, under any circumstances, goes to the farmer's market and bring him out here. Bring him out. He led us through a year of pandemic storytelling with technology, with love and duct tape. Seriously, some love, if you will, for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Anna, somehow, someway, Sussman, our resident maestro. There's Pat Masidi Miller, the story doctor, Nancy Lopez, Renzo, the magician Gorio, John, big story for Seal, relentless Shayna Sheely, Marissa, secret weapon Dodge, the Transformer, Nika Singh, more than meets the eye, Taylor Cotton, sees people as better than they are, Leon, the vision Morimoto, Flo the Conductor Wiley, and Regina Beriaco, feel your pain. My name is Glenn Washington. Please believe me when I tell you this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you can wake up in the days and discover a dumpster fire in your front yard only to reach into your own pocket and pull out some matches. <laughs> and you would still, still even then, not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX. When it comes to getting